The following message was given by Raymond Goodland on Sunday, October 22nd at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. All right, everybody, go ahead and take your Bibles out and open them to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to continue our, our series through the book of Galatians, verse 22 and 23 today, where Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. So go ahead and open that up, and then I want to ask you to open your Bible to one more place as well, to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, I'm going to start in verse 1, but mostly verses 4 through 8. So go ahead and open your Bibles to those two places, and I'll actually begin reading there in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Now if you remember from last week... The Apostle Paul said in verse 19 that the, the works of the flesh are evidence. And then he began to list that thing, that catalog of, of evil works. And, and then he comes to verse 22 after saying that the works of the flesh are evident. In verse 22 he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And then before that, Jesus in John chapter 15 verse 1 had this to say. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, then neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for gathering us here today on Sunday morning. Help us to to be careful not to do that that church thing that we do where we just come, we discuss something that's true, or we study it and analyze it. Uh, But help us to remember that you're you're always more concerned about us displaying the the fruit of the Spirit. Not just describing it, but, but, but actually displaying it. And uh, teach us what that means. We ask that in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. So here's what I'll do. I'm, I'm going to actually read us a description of some of these things that Paul lists, or the nine that he lists here when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Just give us a sense of what each one of those things actually is. And then I want to spend most of our time doing something else. Paul's main point here is actually not to give us a list of things called the fruit of the Spirit so that we can figure out which one we're strong in or which one someone else is strong in. That's not his main point. So with most of our time, I want us to look at just a few things. All right, so number one, what, what does Paul not say when he speaks about the fruit of the Spirit here? Then what does Paul say when he speaks about the fruit of the Spirit? And then lastly, how, how does God take people like us, sinful people like us, and, and in us actually bear the fruit of the Spirit? All right, so what does Paul not say? What does he say? And, and how, how does God bring us to the place where we're empowered and enabled to bear the fruit of the Spirit or the fruit that Jesus talked about here? So I'll start with a description of each one of them. So first, love. 
The fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, you know by now, if you've been around Christianity very much, this is not talking about the warm fuzzies, right, and boy meets girl kind of a thing. So this is a a voluntary, self-sacrificial kind of service toward another person. This is... This is a, a, a sort of laying your life down. Uh, one of the best ways to think of it is this is where someone seeks the highest good of another person at great cost, oftentimes at the greatest cost to, to oneself. Okay? So that's what we mean when we say love. Joy. Joy, and I'll mention the Greek word here. It's the Greek word kara, C-H-A-R-A. And I mention that not, not to impress you with Greek, but because it's actually related to the Greek word for grace, charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. So this joy that we're speaking about here is not to be confused with happiness, which as I say always depends on what happens. This joy is something that remains steadfast because it has a special relationship to the unchanging grace of God. So if you've been reading in CBR with us this past week, you've read 1 Peter, all right, we finished that up on, on Friday. Well, earlier in the week, you would have read chapter one, where Peter says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he begins to talk through there. And he says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead into an inheritance that is undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. Remember that? And he talks about how we're now shielded by God's power through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. We suffer through trials in the meantime. But then he gets to the part where he says, though you do not see him, speaking of Jesus, you what? You love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That's the joy we're talking about. It's not just filled with today's good news, it's, it's joy that is filled with glory, all right? That's, that's the joy. It's connected to the inheritance Peter mentions right before that. It, it would be like somebody who has lived their entire life without means. You could call them even poor. And then all of a sudden they discover they have an inheritance. Some relative they've never heard of has died and left them a billion dollars. I just feel like saying a billion this morning. So a billion dollars. That's a lot of money, Right? Now, let's just assume this is not going to corrupt this individual, but they're going to use it to do good things like funding crew and all that kind of stuff, right? So that's what's going on. Now, imagine this person is driving to the place where they're going to get this inheritance. They're going to get this check. They're driving there, and a mile away, their car breaks down. They experience a setback. Now, does this person come out of the car and say, oh, man, what am I going to do? My car just broke down. I mean, just this is awful. What am I, I, just, I feel like just giving up. Life's not worth living anymore. No, that person gets out of that car and says, I don't know, I'll get, I'll get another one. I'll walk. I'll walk a mile to this place, right? Because they are filled with the, the good news of an inheritance that changes their perspective on that last setback. You with me? That's what I'm talking about. That's what the Bible is talking about when it, it talks about joy. All right, so let me speed up because that's only two. Right? Let me speed up. The fruit of the Spirit is speed. That's what you're hoping for this, this morning. Peace. Peace. This, this is a state of mind. I, I told Joel in the first service, this is where the word Irene comes from. The state of mind that results from the knowledge that things are right between us and God. And on some level between us and other people. Patience. Now see, that, that was quick. 
patience. This is, it's more than just tolerance. It includes that, but it's so much more. It's the ability to to endure injuries and insults from other people, or or if I make it more relevant for us today, it's the ability to endure microaggressions, right? All that, you guys have heard of that, right? So microaggressions, all these things, the willingness to endure situations that are irritating, frustrating, am I reaching into anybody's life right now? Irritating, frustrating, or even painful, and to do so without giving up or lashing out. Right, so now, (laughs) you're all like me now. You're thinking, man, get to something that I can say I, I do well. I've got nothing for you. It's like Survivor, sorry, got nothing for you. Kindness, kindness. Now, this is a tender concern for others that leads you to go beyond your duty or your obligations in your efforts to do them good. We're probably more relevant this week. Uh, it's the opposite of, of how I treated my wife one night. I forget what night it was this week, but we were on the sofa, and you know, I sit over here, she's on the left, and I could, feel, I could feel it coming from the left. It's that time of night, she's gonna ask me for a foot rub, right? It's just coming. Now, my wife, my wife has been serving me and our kids all day long. I, I should be thrilled, right? I should be thrilled that God has been so kind to me that I have a wife Right, that I can serve, and that, you know, all this Christian stuff I keep talking to you guys about, I actually have an opportunity to, to do that, right? But no, that's not where I tend to start. So here comes that request, and I kid you not, I, I look at my wife and I, I said something like, I can't believe you're gonna ask me to do that right now. Like, you see, you see what I'm doing, I, I just, I was reading a commentary, and the chapter I was reading, the paragraph was about kindness. You can't make this stuff up. I need to study about kindness so I can talk on Sunday. And here you are interrupting me. You know? so I, but, but isn't this what we do? Like I, am, I will be reading God's word to me about kindness and be unkind to my wife at the same time. Don't we need Jesus? I mean, don't we? Yeah, this, this is what happens, right? So anyway, wait till I get to goodness. Yeah, that's next. Goodness. This, this is an integrity sort of being the same person all the time in all these different situations, uprightness of character, uh, and, and, and just a, a purity of conduct. So this Friday night, Heather was out with her friends, and I'm sitting there playing with our three daughters. We're playing Dutch Blitz, and I cheated. This is terrible. This is like true confessions from a pastor here. I, so usually, I'm just tempted to cheat, right? You'll give me a pass for that one. This time, I was... I was so close to winning and Brianna was right on my heels, my eight-year-old. She was so close. She was catching up to me. And so I had four cards left in my blitz pile and those are all negative points at the end of the game, right? So four cards left, that's, you know, at minus two a pop, that's negative eight points. So I just kind of, after Brianna called blitz, just kind of slid one this way to that little open spot. I only, I had three available slots and only two were filled. So anyway, I couldn't do it. By the time they started counting points, Dad, how many did you have? I said, man, I, I actually had four in my blitz pile. So I, anyway, so God spared me from actually cheating, but I, you know, I cheated before he saved me from going all the way through with it. Anyway, why, do I, why did I mention that? Yes, goodness. It's the opposite of that, right? So goodness. <laughs> By the time we're finished, uh, we're, you're already starting to get the idea that we will not present ourselves as the picture of all these things. You're starting to get that idea. After goodness, faithfulness. This is loyalty and trustworthiness, right? This is the staying true to your word, always, and even if not always, fully carrying out the commitments that you've made to other people. Gentleness, 
is strength under control. It's the right use of power. And, and it's, it's the kind of use of strength and power that protects other people around you who would, who would find themselves in a, a relative position or a position of relative weakness, okay? And so that they would be, they're, they're relatively weak or vulnerable in relation to you in that moment, and they would actually be harmed by your misuse of power, All right? So gentleness is, here's another way to think about it. You know when something is stuck and you need to get it unstuck, Right, and you're not, I mean, you're not using WD-40, but you, you have to actually like push something, but you know that you can't push it too hard because then it will like fly off and hit something and make a hole somewhere else or knock someone over. So you have to use a lot of strength, but you have to use exactly the right amount of strength. You, you know what I mean? Or when you're opening a jar, just the right amount of strength so that stuff doesn't fly everywhere. You, you know what I'm talking about. That's gentleness. It's not the absence of strength or power. It's it's a lot of strength or power, but in just the right proportion, right? So that, so that you help without causing other problems, right? So that's, that's what gentleness is. And then self-control, I'll say it this way, the ability to restrain, deny, or delay what would be an otherwise dominant, uh, a dominant desire or craving for pleasure, all right? Or some other thing that you consider to be good or valuable at the time. So the ability to practice delayed gratification. So that, that, those are the nine that Paul lists. Now, I did that because I know if I did not, some of you would feel cheated, right? You'd say, it's not just Dutch Blitz. You didn't even tell us what these things are. So I did that so that we could move on to really what Paul is emphasizing in this passage. Far from just trying to give us a list of things to define, uh, Paul is trying to make a, a, a very real and important point here. So I want to, with the rest of our time, I want us to look at those things first by looking at what he does not say. Now look at, at chapter, 20, or chapter 5, verse 22 in Galatians. Paul does not say the works of the Spirit. Did you catch that? Now based on the way he's writing so far, that's what you would expect. And I, I like to do this when I'm studying the Bible. I like to, when I'm reading a passage, I like to say, is there anything here that I wouldn't have expected? Is anything said in a way that, I, that is different than what I would have expected based on what's happening so far? So Paul in verse 19, or even before that, he says the desires of the flesh are against the desires of the spirit and vice versa. He says the works of the flesh are evident in verse 19. So I'm expecting him in verse 22 to say, and, and likewise the works of the spirit are evident and list those, right? But what does he say instead? Not the works of the spirit, but the fruit of the spirit. Because what Paul is doing is he's correcting a problem in the Galatians. Their entire focus and emphasis is on something they have to do to make things right between them and God. Some set of works. It's so much so that they're willing to, to do the whole circumcision thing. Like, okay, here's the ritual I have to keep. And they're willing to go in that direction. But Paul is saying, no, no, no. It's, it's, no, the, the kind of life that is pleasing to God is one that, let me, let me switch word pictures for you, is one that brings forth a kind of fruit. See, see, a robot can work and produce a product, right? But a robot can't make an apple. And the reason the, the robot can't produce an apple is because it doesn't have that kind of life in it. Are you with me? Paul switches to the word fruit because he wants to shift the focus of the Galatians from all the stuff they think they need to do to the kind of life that Jesus came to give them and that they need. Fruit, 
the fruit of the Spirit, as long as the life of the Spirit is in you, Paul begins to say there's a, there's a sense in which, and we're, again, we, we dealt with this two weeks ago, it's not as though there is no effort needed in the direction of obedience or godliness. It's not as though we're free from a concern for holy living, but there is an inevitable quality to this fruit of the Spirit. If the life of the Spirit is in you, you will produce this fruit. Yet if you've been to Carter Mountain this year, then you, you, you see all the apple trees, right? Those trees don't struggle to produce the fruit. They produce the fruit rather naturally. It's, it's their nature to produce apples in season because apple producing life is in them. In the same way, it is, it is again, not without godly effort, but it, it, is, it is somewhat inevitable that if the life of the Spirit is in us, we will also bear the fruit of the Spirit. So Paul Paul intentionally does not say works, but fruit here. There's something else Paul does not say. He does not say the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience. And I imagine if Paul has a grammar teacher here, this is, is, is driving him or her crazy. He says the what? Not plural, but the singular, fruits of the Spirit. Now, is that a mistake? Here's where the Bible critics come out, right? They'll say, well, you know, actually, Pastor, when Paul said the desires of the flesh, it was singular. That's, why, that's one of the reasons I think Robert pointed that out a few weeks ago. It was the desire of the flesh. It's singular. You know, every once in a while, we have to let you guys know that we're aware of what the original language says, even though we don't wear that on our sleeve, because we don't want you to be susceptible to all these people who say, oh, we've lost all these things in the translation. No, we haven't. <laughs> you know, who are all these experts running around saying we've lost all these things in the translation? No. They'll say, well, but pastor, it actually doesn't even say the desires of the spirit. That word desires isn't there in the Greek. Well, you know, let's give you an apple. Yeah, well, we, we understand that, but that's not important. Right? We, again, the, the literal reading is the desire of the flesh is against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. We get that. But we don't lose anything in the translation by saying the desires of the spirit are against the desires of the flesh. You understand? Anyway, so there's a whole other thing I, I could say about the reliability of the Bible and why, why we do well to continue to believe in that, but I'll leave it there for now and get back to what Paul did not say. He did not say fruits, plural, but fruits, singular, because he wants to make the point that these all come together. The, the, the fancy word, Jonathan Edwards used to say this back in the day, is there is a concatenation of the fruit of the Spirit. All of these things, there's a binding of them such that they're inseparable. In fact, if you want to know what genuine Holy Spirit fruit looks like, you can know that it's, it's genuine patience and not simply a calm demeanor because it comes with kindness as well. So you're sitting there waiting on something to happen. And by the way, if you're going to develop patience, do you realize that it is required that you actually have to wait for some things in order to develop patience. Like things that you want to happen right now have to not happen right now for you to even have the opportunity to develop patience. I used to say it's a good thing that everything doesn't happen when we want it to. Because if it did, how would we ever develop patience, right? So we want everything to happen right now. God wants us to bear the fruit of the Spirit. So sometimes he's going to frustrate your desires and delay some things that, that you want right now. And anyway, what was my point? Fruit versus fruits. These all come together. When Paul speaks about the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, do you remember this? 
He says, to one is given this by the Spirit, to one is given the gift of healings, to one is given miracles or tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy. You remember that? But one person has this gift, but not these three. Another person has these three, but not those two. We all have different gifts, Romans 12, 6. Having then gifts which differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. We have different gifts of the Spirit. But when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, the genuine Christ-like character that is produced in us by the life of the Spirit, we all get the same thing. The Holy Spirit produces love, not just by itself, but with joy, peace, patience. You get what I'm saying? All of that comes together. Now, the way that those things show up in our lives, we might say, well, this fruit seems to be more mature at this point and less mature at this point, but it's all there. If the Holy Spirit is in you, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control born of the Spirit is there as well. Everybody? So not fruits, but fruit. And there's one more thing Paul does not say. Look at verse 23. Paul does not say, against these things there is no law. Look closely. There was a perfectly good word available to him in the Greek that would have been read and translated that way. Against these things there is no law. Paul used that word in many different places. But here he says what? Against, everybody? Such things there is no law. Which means, again, just like last week, this list is not exhaustive. It is against such things that there is no law. So the point Paul is trying to make, which we'll go on to in a minute, is that you look at these things identified as the fruit of the Spirit, things inherently good and pleasing to God, and I'm telling you there's no law against such things. He could have included things like like contentment. He could have included generosity. He could have included mercy. He could have included hope. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3 that where the Spirit of God is, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom. He could have included that, even as he's been talking about gospel freedom all throughout this letter. He could have included humility. Therefore, if there is any comfort in Christ, if any any fellowship with the Spirit, Philippians 2, then fulfill my joy. And then he goes on to say, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. He could have added boldness, could he not? Do you remember in Acts chapter 4, down in like verse 27, where where the apostles are being threatened because they're, they're being effective and faithful witnesses of Jesus in their culture. They're speaking out about Jesus. They're, they're proclaiming in him and in his resurrection this new life and forgiveness and, and eternal life. And the authorities and, and the pressure is coming and saying, no, you can't do that. You can't speak about Jesus. And, and they're even being threatened with jail time and physical harm. And so the apostles, they, they huddle up in their corner and they're praying and they say, Lord, thank you so much for this reminder. Please help us to remember that above all, our foremost duty is, is to never offend anybody with the truth. Is that how they prayed? Anybody? Is that in your Bible? No, no. Lord, consider their threats and grant to your servants boldness. Everyone look at me. We're losing our boldness. We're being intimidated and shamed into silence. We're afraid of losing things because people have power to take them from us. 
and it's real power, right? It's easy for me to be bold. I'm a pastor. I go to work. Nobody at, in my office is going to threaten me for being excited about Jesus and, and talking about him. You are in a different place, many of you. You need even more boldness than me. You're on the front lines. But it is bold. boldness is one of the things required of us here as faithful servants and stewards of these mysteries of God, of the gospel, of, of the, the life that Jesus has given us. And so boldness doesn't mean we're obnoxious or even loud. Yeah, this is, this is, I mean, boldness, I look at some of you and you're so quiet, but this is something even Jane can, you know, Jane can be bold, as quiet as she is naturally. And it, it's, it's just, it's simple stuff. Like all the pressure comes on and, and you just, you know, I'm, I'm going to be very honest with you. And, and I hope God uses this to make a difference. But, but no, I, I don't believe it's okay to kill a baby just because the baby hasn't been born yet. I don't, I don't believe that. I know lots of people have gone through that experience, even in a room like this. But I'm not going to approve of it just because of the pressure that's coming on me now. No, I'm, I'm never going to call that health care. I, I know what health care is. It's not that. No, I'm, I'm not going to approve of illicit sexual relationships, whether that's, whether that's talking about people who are homosexual in orientation or heterosexual. I'm not going to do that. Because in Romans chapter 1, God says that though we know that those who do such things deserve God's judgment, that they deserve to die because of these things, they not only do them, but then the Bible says they also approve of those who do such things. God doesn't simply denounce those sins disobeying parents, all the, the greed, they're all in the same list. He doesn't just denounce those sins, he denounces the approving of them. I mean, search your Bibles and, and, and look. He denounces the approving of them. So why is it today that I find so many Christians rushing to approve of these things? It should not happen. Do we, look at me. Have I become your enemy, Paul said, by telling you the truth? Boldness, courage to stand on the truth, whatever consequences come because of it. Not obnoxious, not loud necessarily, maybe loud sometimes. I give myself a little leeway here. But whether quiet or loud, bold. Paul could have added any of these things. But his point is to say, against such things there is no law. So let's look at what Paul is saying, not just what he didn't say. What does that mean, against such things there is no law? Why does he say that here? It almost looks like he could have left that out and just gone on. But he, he puts it in there, and I want you to turn really quickly in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56. I want you to turn there, and we're, we're going to see another verse that, uh, this is what I call a speed bump verse. You, you kind of just hit it, boop, and keep going, and you have no idea what it really means. You know, you just kind of real quick and, and just keep going. But in 1 Corinthians 56, or, or rather 15, 56, Paul, Paul says the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Well, what do you mean the power of sin is the law? I thought the law was good. How is that the power of sin? So Paul understands he's got to explain that. He, he explained it in, in, in detail to the Romans. So flip back now to Romans chapter 7, 
verses 7 through 8. The power of sin is the law. See, this sin on the inside of us, or the flesh, as Galatians 5 calls it. In, in Romans chapter 7, verse 7 through 8, the Apostle Paul will say there, well, what, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? No, by no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin... Seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Did you see that? So the, the commandment comes, here's the law, you shall not covet. And all of a sudden, even though I didn't even know what that meant, all of a sudden I find in myself a desire for things that are forbidden to me. I'm coveting what rightly belongs to someone else. Because sin, the flesh, takes that good law and twists it into an occasion for sin and temptation. It, it would be like, it would be like you, you, right, imagine a young child. Imagine a four-year-old child, or, or even older, like, like Garnett. You know, imagine Garnett just peacefully playing, having a great time, you know, and, and sitting there, and then you go up to him, and, and, and he's not thinking about a cookie at all, and you go to him and say, Garnett, you cannot have a cookie before dinner. Now, what's going to happen? Man, God help you if you can keep him away from that cookie, right? All of a sudden, that commandment came and sin sprang to life and seizing the opportunity afforded in the commandment began to produce all kinds of desire in him for what was forbidden. Do you understand that? It's, it's why all of us, it's why when you're cruising at 70 miles per hour on the highway and then you see that sign Nothing special about the sign. It's white. It's got black letters and black numbers on it. And it says speed limit 70. Now here you are, happy, cruising at 70 when you thought the speed limit was 65. And then all of a sudden, the law comes and says the speed limit is 70. And what do you do? Right? With, with, with gentleness, right? Not too much, but not too little. <laughs> Power under control. But you go up to a, a what? Respectable 73 or something. What, whatever the most you can do, the most illegality I can get away with without getting pulled over. Why? Because of the flesh. Because of your, your sin cannot stand to remain within what is permitted. It has to have forbidden pleasure to be satisfied. It needs what is unclean. It needs what is forbidden. And so this is one of the most important things Paul says in this letter because as he begins to try to shift the focus of the Christian from a constant preoccupation with the rules about what they can't do, as he, be, now I trust Two weeks ago, we've taken care of the fact that this doesn't mean that we don't exert effort in that direction of godliness and obedience. But what Paul is doing is he is shifting their focus from a constant preoccupation with what is forbidden, with what the law says they can't do. And he is instead causing them to focus on what Philippians chapter 4 would say, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, if anything's of good report, whatever is excellent and praiseworthy, think on these things, right? And the God of peace will be with you, right? 
He's trying to shift their focus to things which are inherently good and pleasing to God and to let that be their occupation and to let that be their guide for how to walk. The whole law is summed up in this one word. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the fulfillment of the law. It does no harm to its neighbor. And so as they're focused on that, there is an advantage awaiting the Christian when we move from a preoccupation with what we can't do to an occupation with what God does permit and what is pleasing to him. And here's the advantage. There's nothing for your sin to twist anymore. There's nothing for your sin to take as an opportunity to tempt you. Against such things there is no law and the power of that sin in us is the law. It needs that forbidden thing. It needs that prohibition that it can turn into a source of temptation. But against these things, against such things, there is no law. There is no occasion for my sin to grab something that is, that is a good law or a good rule and twist it into a source of, of temptation. And so now I'm truly free. I am free to walk by the Spirit. Romans 7, 6, having been released from what bound us, we are now free to serve, not in the old way of the written code, but in the new way of the Spirit. We are free. Free. It, Nietzsche wrote this book a long time ago called Beyond Good and Evil. You know he stole that from the gospel, right? Beyond this constant preoccupation of good and evil, but walking by the Spirit, led by the Spirit. And Paul says, it, not only do you not have to worry about running afoul of God's law if you are following the Spirit and being led by the Spirit, you can trust that the Spirit of God is leading you to, to, to keep what is in agreement with the law of God, but not only do you have to not worry about running afoul of God's law, there's no law against these things. You can't even, I mean, you can't even find a humanly created law that will convict you of peacekeeping. You might get arrested for disturbing the peace, yes, but not keeping it. Against such things there is, everybody, no law and therefore no real opportunity for your flesh to deceive you into wanting what is then forbidden because your occupation and focus is somewhere else. That is what Paul is trying to drive home. So don't run back to circumcision or some ritual that your religion tells you is important. Don't run back to thinking, oh man, I didn't, I didn't fast during the right day of Lent this year. So now I have to do something else to make up for that. Oh, never mind, I ate meat, but it was fish. So it's all good. All right, see, I grew up Catholic. Some of you don't even understand. On Fridays, you couldn't eat meat, but you could eat fish. Right? I guess because Jesus ate fish. I, I, I don't know. But, but don't, don't reduce my freedom to that. Me, meat or fish, are you kidding? Jesus went to a cross. I mean, did you see what happened to him? He, he beat death. I mean, this guy did a round and about with death and came back and showed himself alive and said, man, I've done everything needed to make things right between you and God, and you're going to boil this thing down to meat versus fish? No, we, we are free. Now, how does God actually now enable and empower people like us, I mean, speed limit incited people 
to actually bear the fruit of the Spirit consistently. God knows where to start. And, and as we've been saying for months, whether it's Robert or me, Rayshawn, doesn't matter who's standing here, God does not begin with what we do. He does not begin with our works. Look at John chapter 12, verse 23 and 24. Where does God begin when he begins the process of enabling and empowering us to bear the fruit that Jesus is talking about? Jesus answered them and said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears what? Much fruit. Our ability to bear the fruit of the Spirit begins at the cross. In fact, it is always tethered to the cross. It always has the sacrifice of Jesus for sinners and for sin in view. It bears much fruit. So Jesus dies. He sows himself as a single seed of life filled with the Spirit of God. And Jesus dies and his life is multiplied. He pours out his Spirit and now you and I can bear fruit. And then he looks at us in John chapter 15. Look at John Chapter 15, verse 27. Or rather, John chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Verse 5. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified. That you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Did you know there's a principle in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18? In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, God shows us again how it is we begin to bear the fruit. Remember, this fruit is all together. It is the genuine fruit of Christian or Christ-like character produced in us. And the way Robert says it here often is that we, we are being cultivated by the Spirit. We are cultivating in ourselves. We are being cultivated to, to reflect the character of Christ. This Christ-like character is the fruit of the Spirit. And, and, in, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, there is a, a spiritual principle. You and I will ultimately become what we consistently behold. I'll say that again. You and I will ultimately become what we consistently behold. And we all with unveiled face, 2 Corinthians 3.18, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. It is as we are beholding the glory of the Lord that we are transformed into the same image. As we behold Jesus, we become like him. So here's what I want us to do as we, as we close. Don't worry about notes. I want you to behold the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ through the glory of his word. You, the fruit of the spirit, you, you need more love in your life, yes? John 15, 13, Jesus says, no, 
Greater love has no one than this. Greater love has no one than this, that, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what he did. Romans 5, 6, you see at just the right time. While we were still powerless and weak, Christ died for the ungodly. He laid down his life. You need joy. You want to see the fruit of the Spirit and joy born in your life. Jesus, Hebrews 12, 2, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Jesus so treasured and valued this joy, the eternal joy that is now ours, this inheritance that brings this joy, he so treasured and valued that that he was willing to lay his life down in order to make it possible for us. He had it before he came here. So when the Bible talks about the joy set before him, it's not talking primarily or just about what he already left. He already had it. The joy set before him was his opportunity now to enjoy that with us, to bring us as well. He already had all that joy, but he came here and died, and for the joy set before him, that is enjoying this eternal glory and fellowship with the triune God, but bringing us into it as well, for that joy, he laid down his life. Peace, Mark 4, 39. Jesus is taking a nap in a boat, and there's a huge storm, and he awoke and rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, peace, be still. And everything that was chaotic and out of control all of a sudden had peace. And aren't you glad it isn't just for the wind and the water? John 15, 27, Jesus said, my peace I give you. (laughs) My peace I give you. Not as the world gives. My peace I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled. In fact, Ephesians 2.14 says, He himself is our peace. Romans 5.1, Since therefore we have been justified by faith, we now have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ and access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Kindness. You need kindness. Titus 3, verse 4 and 5, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Kindness, he went above and beyond his duty or obligation to show us good. He was kind when he saved us. He didn't have to. But Jesus was kind. Goodness. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Faithfulness. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 through 2. You who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. You need faithfulness? I mean, don't, don't beat yourself with rituals. To get, consider Jesus, the, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him. Behold the faithfulness of Jesus, and you will increasingly become faithful. Transformed into the same image. You need, you need self-control. Hebrews 4, 15. You who share in the, or, or rather, you who share, I, I read Chapter 4, verse, verse uh, what did I read? I read that incorrectly. Chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. You need self-control? We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but what? One who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Complete and perfect self-control. 
Behold Jesus. You need self-control? Well, you can either resist everything tooth and nail or you can behold Jesus and be transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. You say you skip gentleness, pastor. Yes. Let's end with that. You need gentleness. Matthew 11, 28 through 29. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. See? Don't chase individual fruits of the Spirit. Behold the glory of Jesus. Spend time with Him. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, the song says. Look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to hear what you're saying. And to be more occupied with beholding Jesus than we are with all the things that we can't do. Please protect every soul in this room, Lord, from a misunderstanding of that that would launch us into the lawlessness we, we talked about last week. But protect us from a fear of that kind of gospel freedom that prevents us from producing this fruit to the degree that you desire. Only your spirit can accomplish that balance. And so we, we ask you to do that. And we ask that in, in the name of your son, Jesus, amen. You've been listening to a message by Raymond Goodlett given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.